0: With that said, thank you very much. Um, We're now moving into our sermon at this point. Um, Thank you so much, Katie, for reading our our text today. Well done. It's a great job. Um, Over the last couple of weeks as we've gone into Advent, Um, we've covered the need of Advent we've covered the promises of Advent and now we're in the plan of Advent and uh, man I just want to thank everyone that's worked on that so far and um, especially poor Kevin Heller who got up last last week in the middle of feeling rotten and sick Um, it's just great when you're assigned to preach like one time a year and that week like your world falls apart and someone slashes your tires and you get sick Um, (laughs) thanks brother They did, and more. So God's in control of those things, man. He uses it, right? So thanks for being used by the Lord last week in that. I really appreciate that, and Dempsey as well. So this week we come to the plan, the plan of of, of Advent, and our sermon title uh, this week is, I'm not going to ring a ding anymore, Um, The Joyful and Welcoming Messiah, out of Isaiah 53, verses 10 to 12. And uh, I'm going to split this time today with my brother Aaron Bear. So I'm going to cover the first half, and he's going to cover the second half. Um, you know, when we think about the, about the Advent and remembering what the Advent is of Jesus Christ, you know, we're looking back with 2,000 years of information on it. Like, we know the baby comes, right? And we know about the donkeys, keeping time with the oxes and, and those kind of things, right? We have, this, we have this, this imagery and picture of what's going to happen now. It, has, it was a promise. Now the promise is fulfilled by Messiah coming, and he comes lowly, and he comes unexpected, and he comes to do a work that is different than what most people were really thinking about because they weren't really tuned in to what God was saying in the Old Testament that the Messiah would come and do, and that he does that work, and he lives that life, and then teaches the teaching, and then we know, because we'll celebrate about four months here, that he'll eventually die, He'll suffer tremendously and die, and then he rises again. But what's interesting in this passage here, um, written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus' arrival, is God is setting out some of the big picture ideas of what the Messiah would do in that plan. And particularly in our text today, he sets out the fact that there is an amazing element of his ministry, and I want you to read that with me in verse 11. You can just look in there. We're going to be in Isaiah 53, so we're not going to flip all over today. You can just park it right there. It says, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. The beginning, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. So my first point today is the Savior would find satisfaction through suffering. The Savior would find satisfaction through suffering. In the verse before, um, it flushes it out a little more gritty with some really gritty language. Verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord, so this was God's plan, to crush him. He has put him into grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, and offerings are always poured out or dead, he shall see his offspring. So once again, he's living once again, he shall see his offspring, and he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. In other words, God's plan prospers in the prosperity of the now living Messiah. So, so, Prophecies are, are, are funny business. Uh, Dempsey and I were talking about that this week. Um, if you remember, right, um, so a little hobby he and I are talking about is our, our talking about our eschatology. If you don't know what that is, don't worry about it right now. But we're just kind of thinking some of those things through and, like, restudying some pieces. And um, there's this road to Emmaus where after Jesus rises again, um, fast forward the New Testament, and he shows up, and Jesus in resurrected form is kind of mind-bending. Um, you see him, like the guys that know him best, the ladies that know him best, they see him, but they often don't recognize him. He seems to have a way to kind of veil his identity for long periods of time and long walks next to a guy. And then afterwards, like, I totally knew it was him, but they didn't know it was him, right? And so on the road to Emmaus, Jesus joins up with a couple of disciples, and they're cruising down the road, and Jesus gives this masterclass, and would have been so cool to capture it, but of course he already gave us the master of the master class in the Old Testament, gives a master class on the moving arc of how he was promised and how he would come and, and, and teach and suffer and die and rise again. And uh, at the end, he breaks bread, and at the breaking of bed, he re- reveals himself to them. And they're like, oh, poof, he disappears, right? And, um, but there's a spot in there where he rebukes them because they were hard they were of heart And they weren't listening to what God was saying. So they were completely thrown off by when Jesus died. Jesus had been telling them, hey, listen, I'm going to die and rise again. I'm going to die and rise again. And they're like, yeah, 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 but. And so he says, you weren't listening to the Old Testament. You really weren't listening to me. You were hard of heart. Now, they weren't supposed to be able to take all the hints and pointers that God had given him in the Old Testament, New Testament, or sorry, Old Testament and the teachings of Jesus and nail down every detail. But they should have known the general game plan. And in the, the prophecies in Isaiah, it's not trying to, dec- to, to describe endpoints so that all the people in the Old Testament could actually know exactly when Jesus would come and exactly where he'd be born. There's mysteries. He's going to be from Egypt. He's going to be from Nazareth. He's going to be from Bethlehem. Well, where is he going to be? Well, God goes, I've got that covered in due time. And <laughs> who knows? He actually had it covered because he's from Egypt and he's from Nazareth. He's from Bethlehem. But there were Easter eggs. There were hints out there saying, like God saying, I have a plan. And here's the markers of my plan so that you will not be surprised by them and you will recognize them when they come. Prophecies in the Old Testament, here in Isaiah, God is saying these things, and he's saying them kind of veiled prophetic language so that they're expecting these amazing things. And so when they did come, they would recognize it and rejoice in the Lord. And the writers of the New Testament ultimately do recognize it and rejoice in the Lord and write about it. So in verse 11, sorry, verse 10, We hear there that it was God's plan, the will of the Lord to crush him and put him to grief. So this Messiah guy who would come and take care of them would be crushed by God, put to grief. And when his soul makes an offering for guilt, and so there's sacrifice right here, meaning death, he shall see his offspring, which means he lives once again, and, and he shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Those were all sitting there, 400, 600 years before Jesus came. All prophecies just sitting there about who Christ would come. The prophecy here is that the Father and Son would conspire through their own suffering to bring about their own delight. I want to point out here in the first line of this, the ark of the Messiah ends in the Messiah's delight. If you look back in verse 11, "...out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied." So we just sang a song, come let us adore him. Come let us adore him. And and Advent is not so much about necessarily what's going to happen to you right now. Advent is we come and let us adore him. And what's very helpful is as we see Jesus carefully and clearly, and as we adore him properly, it changes our world. And our first piece being this, that the Messiah that we adore is a satisfied Messiah. And his satisfaction came through choices of suffering. It was the plan of both the Father and of the Son to bring about their delight. And why do we want, why is it good that they are delighted? Because we now are going to be brought into him. And when we come to him, we're not going to find a moping Savior. Savior is like kicking the dirt in heaven. Like, man, that that was hard, guys. Don't ever forget what I did for you. Like, we'll never forget what he did for us. But Christ is full of delight. He is utterly happy. And that happened through the pathway of being crushed and it happened through the pathway of bearing sin and being grieved and hurt. Those moments that he embraced and they genuinely hurt and they were genuinely hard, those were the pathway and he knew it to utter satisfaction. And he calls out to us and invites us down the same pathway. We found it said in Hebrews 2, 12 2, He says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despised and the shame, and is now seated, quite happy and satisfied over all things. Unfolding his reign over all things, our Savior is now satisfied. And that would always be the plan. Jesus did embrace suffering. He embraced suffering, but the suffering arc brought to far greater joy, far greater delight. It's a mystery how it works. But this is the plan of the Father, and this is the plan of the Son. And not only to say the plan, but they've seen, we've seen them go full into that plan. We've seen the Father give his Son over, right? The true, the true Isaac, the, the true one bound up and put on the altar, right? We've seen the Father give the Son to send him. And we've seen the Son say, not my will, but your will be done. And we've seen them suffer and bleed and die, and then rise again in victory. And then you just remember what Jesus does. Jesus is sitting there in victory now. He's saying, you know, look at me sitting in victory. But also look in the New Testament. What did Jesus look like when he came back from the dead? He never came back and said, okay, all right, just got back from the dead. Okay, maybe I overpitched it a little bit. Maybe I, maybe I was wrong when I said, come and die and find that you may live. Maybe I was wrong saying you should lay down your life. Maybe I was wrong about, like, I'll go to prepare a place for you. He doesn't backtrack on any of that. He is on point when he comes back on point, <laughs> and he keeps saying, like, peace be with you, peace be with you, let's go, peace be with you, like, you brought some fish, like, he's on forward mission with his people, it's an amazing thing, and so some of us this week have discussed this, um, we've discussed it, we've seen, we've seen Jesus, the joyful one, call us to areas of sacrifice and dying to self that he's put before us, and your flesh, everything in you says, eject, abort, Get out of this uncomfortability. I want I want satisfaction now. And Jesus puts his hand on your shoulder, shall we say, and says, Calm calm down, calm down. Look at me now. I'm fully satisfied and full of joy. Look at me out of the grave, satisfied, full of joy. Deny yourself as being a king and the wisdom and the main priority. Deny yourself. Allow me to be ultimate lead. Let my words be your wisdom. Let my glory be your main priority and you too will have indescribable joy in this short life and the massive, unending life in the next. Slow down. Trust me. Jesus being joyful is everything to you and me because that's where we're going, and that's how we will be with, and we will sit under the rule of the satisfied and joyful Jesus. He's inviting you now to step into that same life. Christ is our example and our promising king And he says, this life is short. It's not our home or our hope. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. Our home is being satisfied with our Savior. And would call you brothers and sisters. Step into the promises and into the modeling of Jesus as he does this as he embraces difficulty in the moment for maximum joy and maximum satisfaction. That was Jesus' plan on earth. That was Jesus' plan in prophecy. That was the Father's plan in the prophecy. The end was not to crush. The end of the crushing was to bring satisfaction. And you're invited into it. Second piece. The knowledge of of the Savior would allow him to save. Look at verse 11. Interesting words. Follow the words. By his knowledge... Shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Okay, so there's a word moved all the way forward in the sentence. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, that's Jesus, and by him being called that, by that even here in prophecy, declaring that there would only be one righteous one, all the rest of us are wicked by nature until we encounter his help. He is, according to God, my servant, and he would do two things by the knowledge. He would, number one, make many to be accounted righteous, because they weren't, but they could be accounted righteous. And number two, he would bear their iniquities. So Jesus was righteous, and Jesus correctly knew something. He had a plan, knowledge, by his knowledge. And only through the plan, the knowledge that he had, would we get the help we need. And we had two needs here, right? Number one, righteousness, because you don't have it, and I don't have it. We're just Stone cold broke. Oh, you're nice is all day long, but you're not righteous. So you don't have a righteousness. I don't have a righteousness. Need number one, righteousness. Need number two, iniquities. We got them. Oh, don't we have them. Full of it. So by his knowledge, our iniquities would be accounted for by him bearing our sins. And by his knowledge, we would get our righteousness through it being accounted to us, legally given to us, legally declared to us by his work. And so the emphasis here is the Savior knew something. The emphasis here is the Savior knew something. He was truth. He was life. He was enlightened. He is the source of all truth. Possesses knowledge. He wouldn't be ignorant, darkened, waiting for Freud or Oprah or Musk or AI or Biden or Trump. He's filled with right and ultimate knowledge and perspective on everything that exists including the highest things, which is the redemption of souls. So that Messiah is not just a baby showing up and not just some partially informed hick from Bethlehem who's unfortunately not nearly as educated as we are, smarty pants. Now, he knows everything. He knows everything, and by that knowledge, we are saved so the righteous Jesus, by his informed and accurate plan, accomplished the solution to our sin record in absence of righteousness. He knew where he was going. When he taught everything, he knew what he was saying. His trajectory to move towards Jerusalem and to die and rise again. He knew where he was going. He knew what he had to do. He knew he had to live sinlessly to accrue man's righteousness, to give it to Cory neighbors. And then he knew he had to go die and rise again on that cross so he could accrue forgiveness and give it to Isaac because Isaac needs the forgiveness of his sins and righteousness and Cory needs the forgiveness of his sins and righteousness. Jesus knew that and with utter precise calculation and knowledge he went about that activity. And that's a pretty sweet thing that we have a satisfied Savior that does everything right. So he had the key to all, he has the key to all. All other self-proclaiming sources of truth need to give away to him to stay in their subservient lane. So I just want to throw this one out to you as we, as we come and adore him. Are you adoring Jesus as the one who possesses all knowledge? All knowledge. Have you checked it? You can say yes, but have you checked deep in it? Or do you still think there are better experts than Jesus on knowledge fields? Are there more reliable resources? What do you you think about Jesus' knowledge of Jesus really? What about his thoughts on ethics? Does he know everything about ethics? Does he know everything about sexuality? Is he right on it? Your money? Uh, What about absolute claims of truth? Claims on sin and conviction? What about his claims about you and all men knowing with legal accountability that his words are sure and true and authoritative as they are heard, spoken, or read? Is he right about that? Or is he wrong about that? What about his claims on gender, his claims on your species? What about his claims on your righteous identity in Christ? Does Jesus know what he's talking about? Jesus Christ is our Messiah. Jesus Christ is utterly satisfied, and he found satisfaction through the pathway of momentary suffering that he calls us into. And number two, Jesus Christ is the Messiah who knows it all and knows it accurately, and because of what he knew, he accomplished our salvation through his knowledge. By his knowledge, the righteous one would account us righteous and bear our sins. And by his knowledge, he has done it, Join in heaven with bowing to the knowledge of Jesus. And at this point, my brothers gonna come up and give us the second part of this.
1: Hey, Scott. Appreciate it, brother. I got to say, I, I kind of just want to let Scott keep riffing because when Scott gets going, it's great, right? It's a, it is a ble- And I, I will say, uh, I mean, how long has it been now? Right, it's been three years we've been at Cross City, two, three years, um, and we're just, we're blessed by the teaching here. Andrew, Scott, um, Kevin, with your, uh, your Jordan flu game last week uh, coming up here, that was, uh, that was incredible. Um, we're, we're blessed by the leadership here and, and uh, grateful to get to talk to you uh, this morning. Uh, my name is Aaron Baer, if you guys don't know me, uh, my, my wife and I, like I said, we've been coming here for three years with, with Naomi and Ellie, our daughters uh, I, I'm really looking forward to to this uh, this morning. Just spend a few minutes with you, uh, kind of putting a bow on this. Uh, you know, I, I my, my work. I run an organization called Center for Christian Virtue, and and actually, Maria and I both in both of our jobs. We kind of live in that. Uh, awkward, intense, and fun space of of politics and culture and religion, and I get to do uh, some preaching from time to time at different churches, and most of the time when I'm coming in, they're asking me to talk about, you know, the controversial stuff, political stuff, things like that, Uh, and so when Scott and I were were prepping for this, he asked me, you know, are you looking forward to just sort of getting to talk about a Christmas message and all that kind of stuff, and I said, heck yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. it's going to be great. Uh, So, so let's dive into this passage. So, uh, let's start with the uh, the Russians. Um, So, Uh, 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 let's let's really get into this 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 section here. Uh, And I'm just gonna cut to the chase here uh, with you on on the big idea of where I want to land this plane of what Scott got us started off with when we're, we're thinking about this amazing immaculate time-tested and flawless plan that God has been executing from the time of creation. The the bottom line that I want you to walk home with here is there is nothing you can do, no thought you can have, that should stop you from approaching Jesus at any and every moment. I'm going to say that again and again. There is nothing you can do, no thought you can have, that should stop you from approaching Jesus at every moment. And any moment. Now keep in mind, when you are called to approach Jesus there, he's going to call you to come and die and be crucified with him. But what's important is that even at that moment you are committing that very worst sin, even in the moments right after it, you should feel confident to approach Jesus because of what he has done and because of the execution of this flawless plan he has done. I want to just go back and reread briefly with you Isaiah 53, 10 to 12, just because this this drives this home when you step back and you understand what was written, like as, as Scott pointed out, hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. for the transgressors. This isn't a part of my notes. This just jumped out of me as I was rereading this this morning. It's so crazy how so much of that passage there is written sort of in past tense and future tense, right? But that last line, he makes intercession for the transgressors. He is making intercession for you right now in that moment you're sitting. He is making transgressions for you. Now, Scott mentioned, right, that we This was written hundreds of years, that this plan was in the works, that Isaiah prophesies of this plan, told of this plan hundreds of years before uh, Jesus' birth. But this plan is actually even more amazing to that. I'm going to go back to a text. This is going to be the third week that some random dude stood up here and is going to quote this text for you. Genesis 3.15, right? We're going back to Genesis 3.15 because what we see in Genesis 3.15 is that this plan was actually put in place thousands of years before Jesus was born right? Genesis 3.15 says, I will put enmity, this is God talking to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. I want to ask, Scott, can you throw up the, the next slide for us here, this picture I wanted to show you. This is one of my favorite uh, Christmas pictures here. Uh, it's, it's, you see Eve on the side there, holding the forbidden fruit and you see the serpent wrapped around her leg, and she's looking over at Mary, right? And Mary pregnant with the coming Messiah, and you look at Mary's foot at the end, and she's crushing the serpent's head. This is the immaculate promise that God was executing, the immaculate plan God was executing from the very beginning. There is nothing you can do, no thought that you can have, that should stop you from approaching Jesus at any and every moment. What I want to let you wash over you on here, you know, Scott really emphasized well the fact that uh, Jesus was, there was nothing that was going to sort of stop this plan of God as, he, as was prophesied. And he was working through the day and he was telling people that what was going on. I want you guys to stop and think for a moment about the reality that not only did God know this plan was going to go on, he also knew how messed up we were going to be in this process, right? He knew the atrocities of the world, right? He did this with full knowledge. He started this plan not only right after Adam and Eve betrayed him, but he loved us so much that he started this plan knowing the great evils that will be done in the world, the Holocaust, slavery, 20,000 abortions in Ohio alone last year, lost to unborn lives. God knew that he knew of the the, the drug addiction, the exploitation, human trafficking. He knew of this, that that humanity, his creation would rebel against him. But he still executed this plan because he loves us so much. And this wasn't just from some remote plan that, that he saw other people doing. This was from Jesus's own lineage. Why don't you throw up that next slide for me here? So uh, we got a, this is Jesus' lineage from uh, Matthew 1. We've got a bunch of names here, so we're going to call Joella up to come and read the <laughs> names for us. Our resident Hebrew name. and no, I'm just kidding. We're not reading this, guys. Don't, don't worry about that. I just want to, this is Jesus' lineage from Matthew 1. I just want to point out a few folks from Jesus' lineage to show you that, again, he executed this plan knowing how messed up we were knowing this and, and did it through messed up people. You think you're messed up. These are some messed up people. Go go to the next one. Let's go to the first slide here. So the first one I want to point out is, and I don't know if it's going to work. I think we got, there we go. Tamar, right? You guys see Tamar there, that name? Tamar, uh, back in Genesis 38, look this up. And I'm I'm glad we don't have any little ears in here. Tamar tricked her father-in-law to have sex with her, right? That's That's who Jesus' lineage came through, right? Let's go to the next one here. We got King David, right? We all know the story of King David, right? He slept with another man's wife and then had her husband killed, right? This, This is the lineage that God chose in his perfect plan to come through. These are the messed up people God came through. Let's go to the next one. Solomon, right? So Solomon, David's son, saw what his father's sin had done with ladies, and what did he decide to do? Well, he decided to take 700 wives, right? And then he decided to bring a lot of their gods and idols to Jerusalem, right? He started worshiping them. But last one here. This, one's, this, one, this guy is crazy. Manasseh, right? Go, go, go read about Manasseh. I think it's 1 Kings. You can go read about him. This guy, so his dad, Hezekiah, had cast out of Jerusalem all the false idols, had, had really brought the, the, the Israelite people back to God. Manasseh said, forget that. I'm bringing back all these idols. Not that he br- only bring all the idols back to Israel. He actually put the idols inside the temple, right? Inside God's holy temple, he put those, uh, uh, those evil idols. And it actually says... Uh, <laughs> I want to make sure I read this exactly right. What it says about Manasseh, it says, he shed very much innocent blood till he filled one end of Jerusalem to another. That's, that's who that guy was. That, this is the line that Jesus came from. God, in his infinite mercy, knew we were a broken and fallen people. He kept his plan even while all of this evil was happening, right? He wasn't ex- beginning this plan and then saw the messed up stuff that Tamar did or the messed up stuff Manasseh did and said, you know what, hold on, I'm out. This is, this is too much, right? No, he said, I am going to be crushed for them. I love these people so much. I love you so much. I am so desperate for you to be with me. Even though you're doing these things, I'm going to be crushed for you. There is nothing you can do, no thought you can have that should stop you at any and every moment from approaching Jesus. So let's just get to two two quick points of application here. Number one, the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus should fundament, fu- fundamentally change the way we look at sin in two key ways. And first, let me just quickly say uh, that the first aspect of the way it should change is that we should not take sin lightly, guys. Even even little stuff. Even the the, the little lie, right? The, the little point of pride that we kind of thump our chest on, right? The, the little anger we show or or, or or the way we treat people when we know no one's watching, right? We should not treat uh, sin lightly, because God takes it so seriously that He killed His Son for us. Right, th- th- this is this is not anything that should be. Th- th- he, he realized that this was su- that sin is so detrimental to the world and to us that the only way it could be made right is if He took on flesh and sacrificed His own Son. But that that's not the the the, the main point I want to hear about how this changes the way we view sin. That's the first part. But the second part is, is so is so essential for us as we're thinking about sin. You know, as, as I mentioned, I run Center for Christian Virtue. I'm, I'm a lobbyist, right? Uh, and, and don't let that th- make you think any less th- of me than you already do. Um, but, but as a lobbyist, my job is to persuade people, is to try to convince people of things. And as I'm training my staff and, and teaching them how to lobby and things like that, one of the big things I'm always telling them is that you have to get to understand who a lawmaker is, right? have to understand who they are and what makes them tick, what motivates them, right? Because the, the bottom line is if I if I don't understand what motivates you, I, I can't get you to do something, right? I can't get you, I, or I might get you to do it for a moment, but you're not going to keep doing it, right? The, the The reality is if you don't have the right motivation, you're not going to do it for long. And that's, That's true with how we try to avoid sin as well. And Isaiah 53, 10 to 12 should change the way we seek to do what is right and avoid sin. Again, think back to the fact that God loved us so much that he took on flesh and and sacrificed his own son for our sake. Too often, the way we approach sin is we have this view of God as the harsh judge, right? Who's standing and just looking down on us and waiting to condemn us for the wrong move we make, right? But that's not the picture of the loving Father and Savior that we see in Isaiah 53, right? We see a God who is so desperate for us that he's willing to lay down his own life. That's not going to—being fearful of God is not what's going to change us, right? What's going to change us is being grateful, to God. Our motivator for avoiding sin should not be fear, but should be gratitude for what he has done. If our hearts are moved with gratitude for this incredible, insurmountable love of Christ, it's a different story. We're still going to mess up, right? It's mistakes are still going to happen. Sin's still going to happen. But instead of living a life of fear, we'll live a life of freedom. This is what Galatians 5.1 means when it says, for freedom... Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Change those motivations, right? Stand firm in the freedom of Christ, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Right? It is, it is freedom Christ has called us to, not fear. So as you're trying to, as you, we all know those sins we struggle with, right? And as you're trying to change your motivation, if it is, I don't want to be condemned by God, he doesn't want to condemn you. He wants to bring you salvation and freedom in him. Number two, the second point of application here. And and again, guys, I'm going back to this again and again, because this is important for me. I'm literally preaching to myself now, even more so than talking to you guys. And I said it to start us off. In the very moment you are sinning or in the moments after, you should never be ashamed to repent and immediately spend time with him. Guys, I cannot tell you, I, I've, by the grace of God, and especially because of the, the, the shepherding of, of Scott and Andrew and the, and the preaching here, you know, over the last several years, I've, I have been more diligent about my own time with the Lord every morning, reading the word, praying, than I, I ever have in my life. And it's been so sweet. But I cannot tell you how many times I go to sit down and something inside me is saying, you can't do this right now, man. You just... You just screwed up, right? How, how many of you guys have done that? How many of you felt that before, right? You you felt unclean. Maybe maybe you told someone off, right? Maybe maybe you you lied to someone. Maybe you stole something. Maybe you looked at porn. Maybe maybe you you were rude. To, you, you yelled at your kids, right? And then you go to sit down, and, and you know you have that regular time you're going to sit down, and you get your word out, and you're like, I don't, man, I don't know if I. Can. Guys, that is actually the devil in your mind. The devil is real and he is a liar, right? And as Scott said a few weeks back, right? We, a lot of times we get confused, the tools and the aims of Satan. The aim of Satan is to separate you from God. That's all he wants to do. So as you are in that very moment, when you're trying to sit down, if you hear that small voice, turn it off. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in that time of need. I'm going to say that one more time. Hebrews 4.16, Let us then with confidence, with confidence, right? Because he was crushed for our transgression, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in that time of need. Guys, as we close out, I want to encourage you today. Today, when you are celebrating Christmas, reflect on God coming from the heavenly realm into a flesh into flesh to approach you. And he did this with full knowledge of the darkness in your soul. He loves you so much. He's not unaware of who you are. He's not unaware of who I am. He started executing this plan thousands of years ago to save us because he loves us so deeply and he's so desperate for you. He wants to be with you. So be diligent to spend time with him. And if you've not come to him yet, he is anxiously awaiting your arrival home to him. Remember, there is nothing you can do, no thought that you can have, that should stop you from approaching Jesus at any and every moment. Let's pray. Loving Savior, God, it was your will to be crushed, God. Father, you knew that we could not save ourselves. So because you loved us so much, because you so loved the world, you sent your son. Father, that is a love that we cannot wrap our minds around. Father, that's a love we can't show others, God. We're not capable of the love that you've shown. Jesus, I pray in this Advent season, as we yearn for you to come, that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would fill us up with your love, would fill us up with gratitude. Father, so that we can walk in a matter worthy, Lord, not out of fear, but out of freedom of love of Christ. Holy Spirit, build up my brothers and sisters. Father, and if there is one in this room, there is two, three, four, God, that do not know you, Father. I pray that they would not tarry to wait to get better. Father, that they would hear your call now to come and find that in you we can truly live. It's in the precious and sacred name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.